Welcome to the Altruistic Traveller podcast, interviews with influential changemakers from around the world. That recycling is no longer sufficient to, to deal with these. That type of volunteering actually is proving to be more harmful. Trying to eliminate poverty. I mean, they didn't see me that way. They see me as a human being, someone who needs help. Be inspired, educated and moved by global initiatives making this world a better place. For more stories and resources, please visit thealtruistictraveler.com. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Altruistic Traveler podcast. Today I'm speaking with Matthew C. Johnson, the founder of Elbrus for Alpinists, a sustainable development project aiming to open the northwest face of Elbrus, one of the seven summits in Russia, to alpine climbing while simultaneously bringing sustainable and cultural sensitive economic development to the people living and working below the mountain. Matt is a family man who loves intellectual challenges, adventure travel, endurance sports, and bringing together unlikely groups of people to share passions and connect humanity. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited uh, that you reached out because I love to interview people that I don't really understand or know much about your project and this is the case so I'm coming at this interview with a very inquisitive mind you know it's quite a a good timing I just finished watching uh, 14 Peaks on Netflix so I'm very much in the mountaineering mindset right now but tell me a little bit about Elbrus for Alpinists and your involvement I know this is your project I'm opening up the stage to you well, the concept is largely as you described. As many people who are involved in climbing know or are tangentially have heard, you know, a group of mountains called the Seven Summits, representing the highest peak on each continent. The highest peak in Europe is in the North Caucasus Mountains in southern Russia, and it's called Elbrus. Most people, if they Google an image of the mountain, will see a very smooth looking, you know, twin peaked mountain that has a popular ski resort on the south side. So the standard way of climbing is from the ski resort. It poses no challenges. Many thousands of people climb it every year. But for alpinists and climbers who like a little bit more of a challenge, the mountain is boring and crowded and sometimes dirty. So they kind of skip it, or if they do it, they do it just to check a box. Three years ago in 2018, I discovered that the Russian climbers in the area climbed by a route from the west side that's not normally advertised. And I took a solo trip over there to explore. I discovered it was phenomenally beautiful. The people on that side of the mountain were wonderful albeit with very few economic opportunities. The mountain itself lies a few kilometers from Russia's border with Georgia. And due to the proximity of the border and the difficult terrain, there is no road access from the ski resort to the villages on the west side of the mountain. I saw an opportunity. I looked at the population. I looked at the terrain. I thought, why has nobody developed a climbing infrastructure here? It should be done. And after a few years of musing on it, I decided to attempt it myself. I began to reach out to people such as Nathaniel J. Menninger, who created the Porter film, and from there to Greg Kane at the Chicago Mountaineering Club. And we discussed my idea. 
the idea was simply to develop a climbing industry on that side of the mountain that would be owned and run and directed by the local people. We would train, we would fund, we would mentor, but they would own it, they would be in charge. And that is where the project has moved over the course of the year. A lot of discussions, a lot of emails with people. And we formed a pretty good team now that will be traveling to the area next June following a smaller group that went in September of this year. And we will be climbing and filming and uh, discussing what to build. That's incredible. And especially like your personal relationship to the story uh, I mean, what was it like for you back then in, in 2018? I mean, you had to overcome a few challenges to to climb this or to get to this area. Uh, you were saying the challenges that you're soon hoping to eliminate from others. Uh, what was it like for you the first time that you went there? It was largely a black box walking in. I did not know what to expect. I hired a stellar Russian climbing guide named Alexander Elisiev, and he took me to the west side of the mountain. We looked at the face that is the image of what we will be developing with this project, and he actually talked me into climbing a nearby, more remote uh, route that took several days of traversing around the mountain through high passes. But the dream of developing this really clear, really beautiful line on the northwest side of the mountain stayed with me all that time. And I returned with one of my partners in the nonprofit, Elbrus Alpine Foundation, named Mark Higton, who lives in London. Uh, we returned this September, despite all the COVID travel problems, and met people in the village of Hurzuk, where we had a cultural festival and really just a very warm experience. We spoke to them about the project that we wanted to offer them, that we have been developing, and we got a very enthusiastic reception with many people volunteering their services, volunteering ideas to expand and support the project. We have contacts that are now in the Valley that we interact with regularly, and they are all waiting for us to come back next year and begin the serious work. Tell me a bit more about the uh, Kurzuk people. You mentioned that they are, or it's mostly populated by not so much ethnic Russians, but rather uh, Sunni Muslims. So the the Karachai, am I pronouncing that right? Karachai people? I think that's pretty close. Karachai, Karachai. I've heard it both ways. Um, So there are a line of semi-autonomous republics in the Russian North Caucasus. This is in the Karachay-Cherkessia Republic, on the eastern edge of that republic. The Karachay are the largest of the ethnic groups in that republic, numbering roughly 200,000 people. And the village of Herzog is one of three traditional homeland villages uh, for the ethnic group. The group has been in the area for a long time. Uh, Scholarship shows that they likely settled these high mountain valleys in the late Bronze Age, and they have been there ever since. But since the dissolution of the Soviet Union, the people are allowed to move to find employment, and the youth are moving to do that. That's not what their culture dictates. It's not what they want to do. They tend to stay near home and respect family. But 
if they want to raise a family, they need to find jobs and make money. So the young people are by necessity moving away from an area where you might make 2000 US dollars a year to larger cities and they're getting separated from their homeland and their culture. So the intent of this project is to create a stable employment base for the people in the area so that they can stay with their families, stay with their culture and maintain the traditions that have been there for almost 4,000 years. You do see this often in places around the world where you have that migration of populations heading to the city areas. And so, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I don't often speak about Russia. You're the first person uh, on the podcast who is talking to me about, you know, a project in Russia. It's, it's always uh, interesting to make those comparisons and the relationship between similar ways that societies change uh, because of economic opportunities. Uh, so you're coming at this whole project with cultural sensitivity really at the forefront. When did this become sort of a part of your values and the values of the organization? For myself, I think the values were largely always there. For the organization, it was there as part of its foundation. Literally, the first person I mentioned my idea of this project to was Nathaniel J. Menninger, who, with his film The Porter and his connection with the UIAA's new Mountain Worker Initiative, puts this as the primary leading goal of how to approach developing tourism in mountain areas. And I will be working very closely with Nathaniel, who has been not shy in holding my feet to the fire, making sure I'm continuously paying attention to this aspect of our work. Well, it sounds like you've got a really knowledgeable team there. You mentioned, you know, this started from something that was really your idea. Tell me a bit about what it was like to bring such a team of experts together and you know, just the, the evolution of the project over the past three, coming on four years now. Well, the most of the work has been done during 2021. Nate, of course, is fantastic. Greg Kane in Chicago with the Chicago Mountaineering Club has been a great help in setting up the nonprofit Elbrus Alpine Foundation. We have, you know, Mark Higton, as I've mentioned, who's a fellow at the Royal Geographical Society in London bringing a more academic angle to part of what we were doing. And I largely just began to reach out to people I, in the mountaineering community around the world that I thought might be interested, you know, be it the national climbing club or individual climbers that I became aware of. And, you know, we've had a great response. We have people on our team from Brazil, the United States, the United Kingdom, Belgium, South Africa, Uganda, Turkey, Jordan, and other individuals who are bringing advice and expertise along the way in a smaller capacity. And we expect this to be a very enjoyable work project. I think everybody is coming into it with the right mindset. You know, no one's here to make a name for themselves. We're just trying to do something to help others while engaging in activities we are already doing. Now you mentioned about the seven summits in the mountaineering community. 
is it quite exciting when there comes an opportunity to be able to go to summit a mountain from a different uh, route? There is a certain focus on that in part of the community. It tends to add an element of mystery or challenge. It's nice to differentiate, you know, one climb from another, but it's especially so on this mountain as it was famous for essentially being boring for, you know, skilled mountaineers. The fact that there is an alpine climbing route that is available and on a quite beautiful side of the mountain, I think will come as a surprise for a lot of climbers as anyone looking for a guided trip or just vaguely, you know, logistically supported trip online will see a lot of offerings and they're all either from the south, which is probably 95 to 97% of the climbers on the mountain or from the north. But those two routes are basically mirror images of each other. Only one is not crowded. So there are no guiding services out of North America or Europe that offer a climb from the Northwest. There are some Russian companies that do, but they don't really advertise it for Western clients. So we will take a situation where a handful of Russian climbers climb a route each year to one where it will be open to climbers from around the world. And those climbers, of course, can bring in economic development to the region that will be done in whatever way the local people determine best. They will be in charge. That's always a good thing to hear. Is there a any sort of training element involved? Or you, you mentioned that this is not an, a place which it hasn't been climbs before it's it's more just around creating an option for more people to have access to uh, there will be training elements my foundation is dedicated to training the trekking guides you know the fledgling climbing guides anybody seeking to uh, learn how to do you know homestays whether you know bunk houses manage tourist flows we will train, we will build whatever is necessary, set up the online presence, um, organize that for them, train them in running that. Whatever is needed for them, we will provide the money and expertise to get the local businesses up and running. And then once you know they have everything in hand, then we will be out of work. Our goal is to put ourselves out of work as quickly as possible, which is making means that they are successful and independent as quickly as possible. That's always, yeah, an important goal to have. And just this conversation as well as reminding me how much of a flow-on effect implementing something like this can have on community. So you mentioned like homestays, um, you know, uh, local food, restaurants, uh porters. I mean, is it similar to, and excuse my ignorance, I guess, uh, sort of, how they have the the porters say in Nepal, uh, the people that go up the mountain with you. Is that a large opportunity here? It is. It will depend on what climbers actually begin to arrive. A lot of the climbers that I expect to be in the initial stages are more alpine climbers who tend to be accustomed to carrying their own equipment on the mountain. But the approach is really only a long single day push from the nearby village to the base camp below the mountain we will certainly be happy to employ local porters 
local horses to support that transportation. Uh, I think that as an organization, we will encourage time spent in the nearby villages, you know, interacting with the local people, you know, purchasing meals, exploring their very interesting land. Their people that I met are all very happy to share their history, talk about many, many generations of family in different areas of the mountains. And Elbrus is not the only attraction that is accessible from these villages. This area on the border with Georgia is very mountainous. In fact, the entire republic is about 80% mountains. But the area on the Georgian border, especially this Uzenkol Valley area, is just stunningly pretty, and very few outsiders have ever set foot there. There is a border post with Russian border guards that keeps people away from the actual like 10 kilometers or so nearest to the border unless you secure in advance, several months in advance, a special border zone permit. So part of what we will do is to advertise the fact that if you wish to explore a very remote and very pretty, seldom visited area, that we will make it easier for people to actually do the processing to be aware of what is necessary to get these permits. And then, you know, hopefully it can be a family destination where in a t there is not just the rugged alpine climbing, but beautiful mountain valleys, horseback riding. It can be more like visiting the Alps where different family members have different options for whatever level of adventure uh, they feel they are drawn to. Has that been a challenge for you, uh, the border permits and things like that, has that been a challenge for the project or that's just something that you're going to bring into the, uh, the essence of what you're hoping to create? Well, it has been a challenge. I had attempted to actually go explore those valleys myself in September with Mark and we submitted our paperwork with what on paper should have been enough time to get the permits processed, but they did not process in time and we weren't allowed past the border post. Though we did spend two wonderful evenings with one of their officers, we slaughtered a local fat-tailed sheep and made shashlik, which is their version of like grilled meat, and got to know, you know, a border officer and a lot about, you know, his life and the people who live there from that perspective and how actually the local border posts, their children attend school in Herzog with the villagers. So there is, you know, knowledge and intermixing of the different groups and everybody is quite friendly. Um, but we were advised on how to do things with better preparation on our follow-on visit, which we will do. There is a learning curve involved here. But yeah, I'm just very optimistic that with the right information put into different languages for different travelers, that others will avoid you know, that particular hiccup. And there's a lot of information out there and a lot of things that we can learn from. I think it's really fantastic that you're coming into this already with a, you know, as I mentioned before, cultural sensitive approach and, uh, and just being open to have that collaborative and joint effort in building something like this. Uh, so it's exciting. Uh, 
And, and and just sort of wanted to spend a few minutes talking about, you know, yourself and your journey and um, how and why mountaineering plays such a role in your life. Uh, for me, it was almost an accident. I grew up in the upper Midwest on the shore of Lake Superior in the United States, and there are no mountains there. So I grew up backpacking. Eventually, I started backpacking in the mountains in California or in the Rockies in Montana. And I just realized that it's an environment that really drew me in. I eventually began to look a little further abroad with Kilimanjaro, the Alps, Aconcagua down in Argentina, eventually to Russia. And I began to see some common commonalities between the different locations in that smaller villages and mountainous areas seemed to have more in common than different. You know, it was um, always a very, you know, a straightforward manner of life and a, you know, a harsh environment, but people were very resourceful and welcoming and helpful, I think, almost because you need to develop those talents to make a life there. So I felt very much at home in every one of the locations I went to and began to speak with friends and loved ones about the passion I was finding for these types of communities and eventually decided that I could potentially work to give back some of what was given to me. Beautiful. Yeah, it's always, I don't know, do you feel that bringing in that personal passion does make this whole journey for you not so much easier, but, you know, is the passion for this project what drives you to really turn it into a reality? Uh, Very much so. And I think it also just makes it easier to bring the cultural element in. When you, you move to a community or visit a community that has, you know, a passion for their land, a passion for their history, and you can share that passion, it makes it that much easier to bond with people, that you're both excited about the same thing and you both want to work together to help other people find what excites you. Yeah, I, I understand that. I've I've had that same feeling whenever I visit other communities as well, so... Um, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show and sharing your story. Where are you at with the project? So you mentioned you're heading over there in 2022. Tell us a little bit about, you know, when you're hoping to launch and how our listeners can follow along or get involved. Well, we have a website, elbrusforalpinist.org, and that's E-L-B-R-U-S, the number four. A-L-P-I-N-I-S-T-S dot org, where you can see our team, you can see our supporters as they come on board. We will put updates on there. Uh, we are planning a crowdfunding campaign in February. And I would just follow the website. Feel free to email. My email is on there. I will respond to questions or anyone who wants to be involved. We will, of course, also be reaching out for corporate support. Right now, we are very happy that Deuter Sport wants to work with us, and we've had you know, a little support from Outdoor Research. But we are looking for people still to help push the project forward through the upcoming years. Uh, we need someone at the moment to help with web development, video editing for the documentary, 
and of course, as the years go on, anybody who would like to spend some time in the Valley with the wonderful people there helping to build and train and mentor, you still have several positions open for that. But aside from that, yeah, just reach out. I have answers, hopefully, to whatever interest you know people have in the project. And it's really just been a grassroots, almost a climate community as I learn about it, volunteering their assistance and... We'll always be open to more help. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got a wonderful group of individuals already. And uh, yeah, for everybody listening, I'll be sharing the information in the podcast description. Uh, thank you so much, Matt, for sharing this. I really wish you all the best in the project. And you know, hopefully myself or, or some of our listeners can head on over there when the time is right and um, see how this evolves, not only for you know the, the climbing community, but for the local community as well. Well, thank you for the opportunity, Bianca.